Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... It gave me a fuel for my life within me that can never go out. It's just, how bright does it burn? Every disaster is actually an opportunity. You just got to find what the opportunity is. Like many entrepreneurs, Dexter Dunworth says he's always found great reward where there are a lot of risks. After pulling off the considerable challenge of starting with just one truck, and then with his brother Dave, building an industrial oil waste recycling business across the eastern Australian states, deploying some 72 trucks and 200 employees at its height, Dexter once again then leapt into the complete unknown, this time the boxing ring. But not when he was a young 20-year-old, nor even when he was a 30-year-old, but when he was in his early 50s. And that entrepreneurial leap led to a great deal more in the giving back space. Hope you enjoy part two of my chat with Dexter Dunworth. Dexter Dunworth, great to be speaking to you. Now, you sold your business for $72 million in cash in 2016 after, what, 30 years of hard work building it up. What did you learn about yourself as a person, you talked about in the last part about this journey of inner kind of discovery. What did you learn about yourself? But also, I guess, as a leader of a company that was growing through those three mm. decades. I suppose if I, I would have to take it right back to the, <laughs> to the beginning because I am a result of what my life has been, right? So I think um, when my father died when I was really young, um, I would then went and lived with different families as a like five, six year old. I didn't even know them. That was a pretty like wow type thing. Um, so just to yeah, yeah, set sure. some context to to cope with the family situation, mm. you were put with other people for a time. Correct. Not yeah, forever. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And because what happened, uh, Dad was really successful. He died. Um, Young, I'm assuming. Yeah, 36. Uh, yeah, more, big mortgage on a house. Uh, Mum had never worked like a lot of women didn't in those days. So she lost everything, lost the house. She had to go get get a job, which she got in real estate, um, to make it easier for her and people. I mean, she's a person I have the most respect for of anyone ever, right? But for her to make it work and take the pressure off, I went and lived with her different family for a while and then came back. So her way of doing things was, okay, she had a job in real estate um, and unfortunately most people can view houses out of hours. <laughs> so she would never be home before about eight. So it was a matter of, you know, you go home, let yourself in, get your own dinner <laughs> and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, and then um, so I think that sort of – made me reasonably resilient or whatever. I was accepting of the situation and then went to boarding school at Joey's, which for, for me was um, 
awesome. It was, uh, it gave me. This is St. Joseph's Private Catholic Boys School in. At Hunters Hill, right. In Sydney, yeah. Um, awesome, was it? I'll beyond awesome. Okay, so if, if I have to thank anything or whatever in my life for what I am today, it has to be there. It gave me discipline because without discipline, you're nothing. It gave me boundaries and all humans need boundaries and it gave me great male role models as well as some not so great, but that was just the, at the time. Um, and uh, it taught me that really with passion and commitment, you can achieve anything, you know. So all the, all the, the lessons I had learned was that, you know, I had some really important things taken from me, but if you use the, the tools that you have within yourself, you can turn any negative into a positive, right? So if I look at all the bad things that, well, sorry, bad's probably the wrong word, the negative things that have happened to me from, you know, father dying at a young age, living with people you don't know when you're like six, um, having great success at, at school and part of that taken from you for different circumstances, they're actually not negative experiences, they can be positive experiences. You know, you can find something that um, it gave me a fuel for my life within me that can never go out. So no matter what happens, it's always burning. It's just how bright does it burn? You know, every disaster is actually an opportunity. You just got to find what the opportunity is. And I think, you know, um, those, you know, my earlier life had embedded that within me. Um, that you were going to be resilient and no one well, or I could nothing was going right. to yeah. Yeah, yeah, crush you. But, yeah, exactly. And then um, so with all these, other, like most people choose an easier path, right? They'll go and work for someone and, you know. All the <laughs> yeah, take a nice paycheck. and <laughs> Or whatever, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was sort of like both my brother and I wanted to be successful. You know, we wanted to achieve. But you had this kind of entrepreneurial streak. Did that come from mum and dad, do you reckon? Oh, I think I think Even so. Even though you uh, lost uh, your dad so early? Yeah, yeah, but I think to answer your question, yes. But it's also a result of the other things, right? The other things in your life make you realise, you know what, I can't depend on others and I can't depend on institutions or whatever, right? I have to be responsible for me. I didn't realise that as a, a little kid or when I was 13 or 14 or 6 or whatever, but your experiences in life teach you that. So the, the tape in the back of your head is, you know, at the end of the day, you are responsible for you, no one else, right? Long before you ended up selling the business, you said you you started to pull back, but you did have a period where you leapt into the complete unknown. The you decided to go on the professional boxing circuit as a guy in his early fifties. Tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. So um, was it completely insane? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not the sort of thing most 50-year-olds <laughs> choose, right? I think I just wanted to challenge myself, right? And I've always found um, found reward 
where there's a lot of risk, if that makes sense, right? So I used to do a fitness thing in a park with a guy that was a British migrant. He was an ex-heavyweight champion, and I just wanted to learn how to – the just art of d- boxing. Just, right? just, just teach me how to love yeah. yeah, yeah. And then so we used to do it one-on-one, and, and I obviously improved to a fair bit and ended up breaking his nose, and he said, listen, oh. you can be really good at this, right? And then – for whatever reason, he had to leave, and then I got a, another guy. I went to another bloke whose name's Isfan Solomon. He was an Eastern Bloc world champion, and he was awesome, like amazing coach. Yeah, and um, and I thought, well, you know, I want to have at least one one fight, right? Could have been amateur, anything. But in Australia, I was too old, right? So legally, couldn't do it. In so, Australia, you legally couldn't have a, a proper fight. Yeah, because I was too okay. old. Okay. Right? So I what did you back do? Back then, it was like thirty-five, thirty-six. Right. So I thought, okay, sensible, so, maybe. Yeah. Um, debatable. <laughs> anyway, so an Australian fighter was going to LA to have have a fight. So I thought I'd just go there, met a promoter like, and said, hey, look, give me a go. He said, mate, I don't know you from a bar of soap. I like you. I get on with you. You go to these gyms. You walk in. You fight who they want you to fight. And if you're any good, we'll give you a go somewhere. So, oh, my God. Which is, they did that. And that's with, you know, like guys that have sort of, you know, in and out of jail in LA and all yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, probably half your age. Yeah, everyone. I've had kids older than most of them. <laughs> so and then that went well and then got – Got um, got a gig, and away it went. Ended up having uh, ten fights, won nine. Had you know titles. Had a bit of a radio gig on a local ESPN thing over there, and it was just a, like an awesome mental. This is like how stupid is this it's type fun? Yeah, experience. So you were known over there as Dexter Dingo Dunworth, weren't yeah, you? The, yeah. The, and I think the Guinness Book of Records acknowledged you as the oldest active fighter. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. You also won a couple of professional titles in the US, including. Four. Four. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. just yeah, to be yeah. specific, including US Mid-America Cruiserweight title. Yeah, yeah. So Arkansas uh, State Cruiserweight is professional titles, right? Yeah. Why did you do that at, at an to age where- To challenge myself. Right. So you weren't worried about your brain? What brain? No, no, to be honest, okay, so um, I think at heart I'm a romantic Right now, you go. You can think. Oh, this one's not adding up. <laughs> Do you know a good psychologist? No. Okay, so um, it's challenging yourself, right? It's just you and another person. You're both professionally trained. When you're starting fighting for titles, it's sort of like the skill levels are roughly pretty equal. It's not fueled by drugs, drugs, alcohol. You know, there's no guns and knives. It's just. You're in a ring, you're with one other person, you've both got that, you know, fist, and one of you will come out on top. So for me, that is incredibly challenging. And unlike the UFC stuff, if I knock someone over in a fight, I step back, I give them time to get up, a bit of time to recover, and go again. So it's sort of um, that romance of... I could, you know, just my winning you, not really. It, it's an extraordinary <laughs> period of your life and, oh, yeah. and um, I'm, I'm maybe, glad it Maybe didn't. midlife crisis type stuff, so I don't know, who knows, but it was great fun. And then, um, you know, I got to a stage where the guy that was looking after me said, hey, listen, you know what, someone will come along and do a number on you. So in my opinion, 
you can't achieve any more than what you can at your age. So you're better off to stop. And then, you know, I guess just like in business, you get people better than you and you you listen to them. Well, he's an expert in his field. He said, hey, you know what? You've had your fun. You're at the peak of what it is. Just walk away, mate, while you can. Yeah. I just want to go back to it because this is a difficult um, issue sometimes to talk to people about, particularly entrepreneurs who've made it big in their business. You made a, no doubt a tidy sum out of selling worth oil. How did that wealth make you feel? Did it change things? Are you somebody who wants to give some of it away? Do you believe in philanthropy or do you love fast cars and boats and property, how did you feel about the wealth? Uh, Yeah, okay, so there was a short period of time when, for me, uh, you can become drunk on affluence, right, Uh, which is a a bad thing. (laughs) However, I did have good advice from, you know, successful friends and they basically said the rule you want is you want to have what you have now in five years. Right, so um, I did some unwise things, but then, you know, got out of them because it wasn't me. Yeah, like bought a place up the coast, you know, a nice cruiser boat and all that sort of thing and and then thought, yeah, what have I done this for? I'm never here and that sort of thing. But then managed to sell out of them and not really, um, you know, take too too much of a bath on it. Yeah, so uh, I think it's, well, basically maybe we're pretty basic I'm pretty basic sort of guys, you know, I don't have to have a Porsche, I don't have to have, um, you know, a lot of the, the trappings that most people have. I think philanthropy, no. Um, well, actually, I'm not into giving money, right? I, I'm happy to give time like I do stuff at Joey's and I, I find that absolutely really, really rewarding. And I do it with the kids there, um, you know, whether it's mentoring or, you know, coaching or whatever, um, you know, talking with the, the first or whatever it is, just sort of um, the reward I get out of giving back to what I believe gave me is just priceless. I was going to ask you about that. Um, so you very neatly sidestepped the philanthropy question, but we'll we'll leave I, it at that. No, 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 I'm happy to go into it. I... I uh, I don't give money, but I'll give time. Yeah. Right. So I used to work in the soup kitchen after I stopped fighting and when I at um, King's Cross, that was great fun, right? And um, I found that rewarding. But then when I suggested that, you know, why not ask the clients or whatever the term you want to use is to actually give a bit back, you know, just clean a window or do something, you know, in return. And they thought, oh, no, that's not a good idea or whatever. I thought, well, you know, um, a lot of people need it, but a lot of them you're enabling. So it's just, you know what I mean? Just Yeah. <clears throat> I want to ask you about this sort of giving back to you You help um, teen schoolboys, younger teen schoolboys with their sport essentially. Is that a mentoring thing? Is it a coaching thing? And what do you feel you can give them? Uh, so I guess the answer is yes to, to a lot of the things that you said, right? So it's varied 
over the years because I've been sort of helping out there for literally for decades. So it's been um, for a period there, it was mentoring some of the Indigenous kids that are there on scholarships, which I think is a, a, a great program because education is the answer, right? Um, you know, if they get in trouble or something, a lot of them back then would like rather talk to me and confide in someone like me because of what I've done with the fighting and stuff because that's cool, right, as opposed to someone with a shirt and tie. Um, as far as the kids going coaching and or running teams and things like that, it's it's not so much, oh, he's a mentor or whatever. It's just your interpersonal relationships and friendliness and putting them at ease and talking with them and suggesting things and, you know, back yourself or whatever it is. Um, I think mentoring comes out in a million ways as opposed to being a mentor, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's important, I think, that um, it's a constant. Like I'm there. Every year I'm there. It's not he's here for a week and then he's off somewhere else. I think, you know, um, just as for me it gave me, you know, discipline boundaries and it was always there for the six years I was there. Well, I'm there. Yeah. You know, sort of, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, you've, so that idea of backing yourself, which is what you did, what your brother did um, into a business, is that a message that you give to these 13 and 14-year-olds? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean. So that's really resilience too, I guess, and and confidence to have a go. The best, the best gift any human to give can give any other human isn't money (laughs) or anything like that. It's confidence. If you can give a human who has no confidence confidence, you've given them a key to being successful in life for whatever success means to them, which may be what it different to what it means to me. But if you can make people feel good about themselves, back themselves, be confident, they're different. You know, they'll be okay. And, you know, like every kid that I come in contact with at the end of the day, for whatever reason or whatever, you know what, you just want them to be okay, be confident, go out there, whatever it is you try to achieve, just have a go, mate. You've come out really the other side of building a startup uh, and seeing it through to a substantial and sustainable business. You didn't seem to want to go on and keep creating new businesses after that. So looking back, you have the perspective of someone who's done that and you were happy to explore other things in your life. What did you learn about starting a business and about yourself in that picture? I, well, starting a business, I mean, you just have some really basic principles, right? Like you tr- you need to find a niche, right? Don't spend more than you earn, <laughs> which is a, a good one. And um, I think, but we'll just like yeah, you have to have the confidence and the self belief, you know, that you can that you can do it. So you know, I, I think it's just really, um, like I said, the light within you. I've got a couple of quick questions that don't need long answers that I'm asking most of my guests. What are you obsessed about at the moment, be it a cause or a book or a show, a thought? 
it's a it's an incredibly bad answer, but you ask a question like that, you got to say the first thing that comes to your head, right? I, I want Joey's to win the footy. <laughs> Not That's this a year, very Sydney-centric. That's a Sydney, oh, no, very no, Sydney-centric it, thing to it's, say. It's a link with me, you know. It's a, it's a bond that will never break. Right. So it's a complete obsession uh, for you? Well, probably pretty close, yeah. What's one of the toughest things or the toughest thing you experienced in your business journey? I think probably... I was the one that went to Melbourne on my own. Um, I left my family in Sydney, uh, rented a room in a motel and parked one truck out the front. <laughs> you know one. Had to cold call people to yeah, get yeah. business. And, and um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it just went stupidly well. So, Yeah. But that was tough. Well, it was tough because you, you're going to – I'd never been to Melbourne before. I didn't know anybody. Um, you know, you had your mates, you know, your competitors in Sydney saying, you know, how thrilled they were for you to go. I wish me all the best here, right? <laughs> so it's a matter of, yeah, you go down there and, and um, I guess it's – stepping the, into? Well, it's the epitome of backing yourself, is it? You know, it's going somewhere unlike here where – I grew up and had friends and support and stuff like you go somewhere, you're on your own and you know no one. And you're going out there, you know, getting into an industry that's already established and got some really big players. Yeah. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in this business journey, entrepreneurial journey, do you reckon? Never doubt your own ability. What would you say to other would-be entrepreneurs who want to back their own idea? They have a great idea. They don't know whether to give it a go. Would you, if you, if you genuinely, if you genuinely believe, not so much, yeah, you know, your idea, I get that, but if you genuinely believe within yourself that you can do something, then do it. Dexter Dunworth, it's been great speaking to you. Thanks so much for joining me on Build It, They'll Come. Good on you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed Build It, They'll Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.